Hey, it's C Sparky, 5 or 1250 AM, the fan, beautiful Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And catch me over at Sparky Radio at 1250amthefan.com. He is Dwight Albrecht from the Spare Time Pro Shop in New Berlin. And boy, oh boy, are they busy. It was just over the other day. He tells me, oh, I get there at 1130, Sparky. So it's good. I get there. I'm fourth in line when they open at 1130. You want to talk Sorry. about in demand. That man is in demand. Phil Brylow, you can follow him at Brew City Bowling for all of your uh, streaming and uh, video needs and so forth. Is there anything yeah. else you'd like to promote $2, Phil? Uh, this weekend, I got a regional for the PBA 50 guys, Central Midwest, uh, down in Crawfordsville, Indiana. We're about 45 minutes away from where they're having the U.S. Open this week. So uh, a lot of the seniors get their chance to to stop by. They'll go watch the guys for a while. But, yeah, Saturday and Sunday, Saturday qualifying, Sunday match playing stepladder. Pete Weber's in the field, Dave Waka, Tom Adcock, who was player of the year for the PBA 50 tour in 2023. Pretty stacked field for the first regional of the year for the Central and Midwest. So it's going to be a good live stream. That's awesome. Where, where can we find the live stream? Uh, PBA Central or PBA Midwest uh, regional Facebook pages. Perfect. So right on Facebook, free for everybody to watch. That's awesome. So make sure to check that out. Of course, follow Dwight. I don't think I said his Twitter account at Dewey 300. Coming up on the show today, Mark Baker, a uh, longtime uh, PBA coach, instructor. He has markbakerbowling.com. has all these great videos that you can buy and purchase. We talked about it uh, previously, I believe, on this show. One-handed instructing, two-handed instructor, all that fun stuff. I think it's $75 uh, for a set of videos uh, that you get. So you can check that out. We'll talk to him coming up. Plus, he's manager of the Adam Splitters in the PBA Elite Leagues. So we'll get into some of that talk, too. Uh, before we get into Mark Baker, he'll join us here in about uh, 10 or 12 minutes. I, I want to talk about uh, this thing that just came out. Uh, earlier this week uh, from the PBA uh, and it's introducing the PBA PBA 50 PWA trios title event to be held in Jonesboro, Arkansas coming up this summer, um, January 31st to August 3rd, all rounds will be live streamed on bowl TV, which means we're not going to see this on regular TV, right? This is not going to be on Fox or uh, big Fox or FS one or any of those things. We're not going to find it there. Correct. Um, champions will earn national titles on their respective tours if they win and $10,000. Uh, PBA commissioner, Tom Clark said, uh, in this piece on the PBA website, it will be the first time a trios event of this nature awards national titles on each tour. So fans will witness history along with the chance to watch legends, current stars, and all the diverse styles, um, going forward. Jonesboro previously hosted PBA tour title events, from 2016 to 21, in 2019, Norm Duke won his 40th career title and the second of back-to-back -back titles at 54 uh, years old. So this trios event um, is interesting, I guess. Uh, the top five teams after match play, uh, well, I mean, let me go back here. Seeding uh, entering match play will determine the PBA, PBA 50, PWBA trio teams. All three top seeds will be paired together, as will the number two seeds and so on. The top five teams after match play will advance to a stepladder finals, which will be live streamed on bowl TV. In Baker match play, one player will bowl the first, fourth, seventh, and tenth frames. A second player will bowl in the second, fifth, and eighth, leaving the third player to bowl the sixth and ninth frames for the third player. Um, I, I, uh, I'm intrigued by this. So is, is my understanding, just to make sure I'm correct on this, there's one of each. So there's a current player, a PBA 50 player and a, a PWBA player, right? Is Correct. that what it is? So everyone will qualify separately. So it's not like yeah. they're entering. It's not like EJ Tackett's getting Liz Johnson and Tom Adcock, both of them on their team. Everybody's qualifying separately in their own divisions. And then once qualifying is done, then all the number one seeds will be paired up 
with each other. So the number one from PBA 50, number one from PBA, and number one from PWBA because the pinfall is going to drop when it gets to match play. So all uh, eight teams that get there or 16 teams that get there all get a fresh start. So and they'll do the same thing all the way down to 16th place. So and it kind of balances out, too, because you're not going to get as many PWBA bowlers the bowl as you would with the PBA 50 and the PBA guys. So it, it keeps it a little fair. And they'll all have their own prize list, too. Obviously, you know, PBA events pay one in three. So, you know, the guys that will get there, if they don't make it on a team, some of the other players will cash as well. Maybe they'll get down that far for the PWBA. But it, it's pretty neat. They used to have a tournament back in before the uh, – PWBA folded back in the early 2000s called the Ladies and the Legends. They used to have it down in Rockford, Illinois, and they would basically use the same thing. They'd have a PBA 50 player, and they get paired up after qualifying with a PWBA player that qualified in the same spot. And that was always a fun tournament to watch, too. Uh, it, only had, it only lasted for a couple of years before the PWBA folded, but uh, it, was, it, it was pretty neat to see, and I'm really looking forward to watching this one on Bolt TV. I like it um, numerous reasons. Uh, first reason I like it is it gets exposure, Dwight, to the yep. uh, the older players on tour, yep. um, who a lot of you will probably know, I'm guessing, that'll be in right. this thing. Uh, but it also gives uh, some love and some publicity to the women's uh, players on tour, who most of you probably don't know right. uh, at this point, because as Phil has complained about for years, they get no TV love whatsoever. Right, uh, Dwight, your thoughts on this concept by Tom Clark? I, I, I'm almost thinking like Tom's listening to us. You know, no, he doesn't listen to us. No, well, he can't stand us. Well, maybe he is a little. And um, he I think- stands outside with a sign that says "You suck" right behind <laughs> you while you talk. It's not very nice of him. No. Um, I, I when I read it, I'm like, oh, well, first off, is this like maybe a test pilot to see how the ratings are and and how the mm-hmm. show is maybe for the future? That's how I read it, but I love it, uh, the idea, because then it's just not the men's tour. We we have to get the ladies more involved. We got to get the seniors more involved. So I love the idea. I love the format. Uh, I love that Baker type of thing or alternating shot um, type of thing. So I, I am very anxious to see how the numbers are in this. It's going to be neat to see because at least as much as we hate the league being so far offset in September with you know, the difference between the, the league season ending in April and we've got to wait till September to find out who wins the whole thing. Hopefully PBA will have somebody down there that can get highlights, uh, get a whole bunch of stuff together, make a package and air it on one of the PBA league shows and go, hey, while we were off, you know, once we ended our, our, our previous part of the season, here's what happened. And maybe give it five or six minutes on one of those shows just to, so the, the seniors get some exposure and the and the ladies get a little more exposure, too, because right. okay. how many people are just going to watch us on Bull TV? It's got, not going to be a bunch. I, no. I got I got something no. for you here. Right. So this is the first year. It is what it is. Right. But we've and I'm assuming the same thing is going to happen this upcoming season, right, where you have a two hour block, but you don't know if you're going to fill a two hour block. Yeah. So then we go into PBA talk TV. And we fill for 20 minutes to a half hour. Right. It wouldn't be so bad if you're able to, depending on when you would record these, you know, like if you recorded these prior to the first tournament, or maybe if you recorded that tournament now, yeah. then you can play segments of the, those matches in as your fill, essentially, at, on the back end of these shows when you need fill. Right. Hey, here, here's right. this from this uh, earlier in the year that we've never been seen on TV. Uh, here it is, this matchup between so-and-so, so-and-so against so-and-so, 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 and mm-hmm. go. The only question I have with that is, would be the play-by-play guys or whoever it is, um, they would obviously have to sign up because it'd be their voices on the play-by-play of it, and they would have to you know, be all good with that stuff because it's not going to be 
your actual play-by-play guys on TV. Rob Stone yeah. is not going to be doing play-by-play over just video necessarily. Right. So it'd have to be theirs that you could repackage and send back versus doing talk TV. Now, if they like doing talk TV, by all means, continue to do talk TV. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it myself, but I do this for a living. So that's why I enjoy it. Uh, I think others may enjoy watching something like that that they've never seen before. Most of them probably. Yeah, it could. It, it's just you see the difference between. I mean, Bull, Bull TV, USBC, they they had their annual state of the bowling address from Chad Murphy back in January, and they said well, they exceeded the ten thousand subscription level for Bull TV for the first time, which is great. But there's how many hundreds of thousands of people that watch shows on on Fox and FS1. So there's still that audience gap that needs to get filled in. And I think what you were talking about right there, Sparky, it's perfect. Just get some of the stuff that people don't normally see. The PBA tries to do it uh, with, with some feature packages on YouTube and that type of thing. But then again, how many people always right. go to YouTube? Correct. For, like they just released uh, a highlight package. So the first matches that were in Wichita for PBA Elite League, they had everybody bowl the first round and then four teams bowl their second round matches because tomorrow is the first league show on FS1. February 2nd. February 2nd. And uh, so there's a nice recap for people that don't have Bull TV, and it's it's well done. Jeff Goodger edited it out, voiced it over, and, and gives everybody some insights. We did some interviews with like Tim Mack and Chris Vi, and uh, it, it, it it's really good. But once again, it just doesn't fill in that huge gap okay. between social media or live right, streaming and right. TV audience. So is this thing on February second on FS1 on Saturday? Mm-hmm. Is this live or is this tape? It's live. So we're going to see what this crowd is. Right. I'm telling y'all right now, and I've been saying this, this is fine. We're going house to house and we're bringing this thing into traveling circus. Yeah. But you're not, you don't have it in the home cities. That's been my beef since the start. Like you got rid of Milwaukee, but if it was Milwaukee, now it's like, come support your team. They're on TV this week and come support your guys. So now if there's not a tie in in that local city, because by the way, they have a tie in in bowling heaven, they have their own team, which they should. Um, what's the crowd going to be like, right? Are we going to give them free shots before to get them amped up? What are <laughs> yeah. we going to do? Because if, they, if, if they're not into it, if it's a standard bowling crowd yeah. and they're not not so crazy screaming and yelling while they're bowling and all of that, yeah. then you've defeated the whole purpose. Yes. The crowd yeah. must act different than yeah. it does the rest of the time. Otherwise, it's just another bowling tournament and nobody's going to stop and be like, whoa, what the hell is going on here? This isn't the bowling I'm used to. That's what you need. You need it to be something. Put some guys in some hot dog costumes on the side, whatever. (laughs) Make it an event on TV. Then you'll see people maybe stopping and checking it out. All right, we'll take a quick time out. Mark Baker is ready to join us here on the Spare Time Bowling Show. Steve Sparky, 5 for 1250 AM, the fan. Dwight Albright, Spare Time Pro Shop in New Berlin. Of course, our guy, $2 Phil. Phil Brylo, Mark Baker joins us next here on the Spare Time Bowling Show. Back on the Spare Time Bowling Show, Steve Sparky, 5 or 1250 AM, The Fan, along with Dwight Albright, the Spare Time Pro Shop, Phil Brylo, $2 Phil, and of course, joining us now, he is looking just so good <laughs> this morning. He is Mark Baker. <laughs> <laughs> He's managing the Adam Splitters, of course, in the PBA Elite League. And of course, you can check us out live streaming this bad boy on the Odyssey Sports YouTube page right now. Download it on your Odyssey app or wherever you download your favorite podcast, Spotify, Apple, all that fun stuff. Uh, and Mark, thanks so much for coming on and, and joining us today. Really appreciate it. You can follow Mark uh, on Twitter at mbakerbowling. Thanks for coming on, Mark. How are you doing? Good, good. Good morning, guys. How are you already doing today? Uh, doing really Excellent. good. Uh, okay, so lots of things to talk about. We were just talking about PBA, uh, the PBA Elite League and so forth. What are your thoughts as far as, as I call it, bowling heaven uh, in Portland, Maine? 
uh, taking it from there where the championship is essentially now, and then kind of traveling around side by side with where the tour is going through the first month or two of the season. Do you like the idea? What's your overall thoughts? Yeah, I think it's just getting it out there more to all the fans. I mean, a lot of people can't get to Portland, Maine. Uh, Portland is, it's amazing. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a, uh, it's, I've never experienced that before until we went there the first time and it's gotten as better every year. But I think expanding it like this lets people see it. I know the players like it because it gives them more games. So when you get to the, when we get to the, you know, a chance to make some money on TV, the seating will be better because you'll have bowled way more games. Last week we had in Wichita, or a couple of weeks ago in Wichita, uh, the first round of PBA League. You weren't there to manage. You had Chris Vi as your team captain take care of business. Did it well. 2-0, first time out. You guys are in the lead early on in the league season. Uh, how tough is it to, to kind of give the advice from the road? Were you watching the live stream that was going on and, and maybe sending him a text or that kind of thing if you saw certain things? It's got to be tough well, managing from the road. It, it made it easier because Tom Doherty couldn't get there. So <laughs> it wasn't real hard to pick which five guys were going to bowl. <laughs> so that, that made it a little bit easier. And then uh, we, we talked about the lineup, who should go where. Uh, you know, I, my, my first pick was Frankie, uh, Francois Lavoie, and it was kind of an odd pick. And I put him anchor because I thought, you know, yeah. this guy's got ice in his veins. And then he came through clutch, I think, almost every game for us. So that kind of played out really well. Chris Vye's got you know, a very level head. You know, mm-hmm. I've worked with Tom Doherty a lot. So my guys, are they'll take care of me when I'm out here in California. I've been dying to ask this for you. Um, with all the years that you've been uh, the manager and coach of the Adam Splitters, uh, when you're on TV and the no- noise is crazy in the building, uh, w- what is the conversation between you at being a coach and the manager and your players? Is it just all strategy? Is it lane conditions, ball choice, stuff like that? Uh, they're really talking more to each other. Those guys, you know, they bowl on tour together. I don't, I'm not on tour. So those guys in their, in their moves, they're talking more to each other. They're looking at me for like, I believe in them. We're, we were okay. We're going to be fine. I've been both extremes. We've lost in the first round two or three times. And I've also won the thing three times. So I've been there. And it definitely is a vibe. When you get it going and you start to feel that all five guys are in the same, it's not so much they're they're talking to each other, playing the lanes the same. It's that they're seeing everything the same. So the move for Richie Allen is not the same move that is for Tom Doherty, but they seem to be making the same moves at the same time. So those three years that we clicked, that it just seemed really easy in the years that we've lost early. It just seems like we don't we don't get it together as well. And it has to happen so fast. That's the mm-hmm. tricky part. Well, how different was it for you to draft this year? Because you weren't just focusing on one center, one pattern. I mean, this year they're bowling in all the different centers on tour, and every week is a different pattern. Uh, how much, you know, back and forth of the guys you held on to, like Chris Fye, how much of that did went in the drafting process for you? Well, that's, you know, the reason I took uh, Francois, he was like 35th. I mean, that was, you know, that there was all kinds of people had a better year last year. But for for a long time, we've always picked guys that are going to bowl good in, in Maine because you qualify on the high side where the lanes really hook early and they get they, they hook a lot. Then you get to the TV pairs where lane two is the easy pair. Lane three, lane three is, a, is a lane that hangs down lane. So you do a lot of strategy for that. Well, this year I threw all that out the window. Last year with Johnny Petraglia winning threw all that out the window. It happened to you, the top guy with the most points. You got to pick him. They yeah. went completely opposite and they ran the tables pretty easy. So yeah. you really wanted to pick guys this year with bowling all the different tournaments and the different conditions. I wanted the most versatile guys and I wanted guys that like to hang out with each other. So you know, I took Richie Allen again. You know, who doesn't like Richie Allen? I mean, yeah. come on. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I want to know a couple of things. You're a manager. 
have you thrown a chair? Have you dumped over a garbage <laughs> can? Uh, and, and what kind of pep talk are we giving before this thing starts? You just got to get them ready. I mean, I'm really, I'm fairly intense. I mean, I, I want to make sure they know there's a reason why I picked them. Because, you know, the first time you bowl in this arena when you're in Maine, it when you walk in there and they're going crazy, it's a different animal. So you got to make sure guys can handle that. Uh, I've never been, you know, a couple times we've lost a couple. One year, Jesper sent the three pin around the seven for us to lose. I didn't throw a chair on TV. I did throw a few <laughs> chairs in the hotel room. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. My wife's like, you know, if you break the TV, we have to pay for that here. <laughs> okay. She goes, and nobody's seeing you do this. I'm like, okay. Yeah. No more Bobby. No more Bobby Knight with the chair in the hotel room. There you go. <laughs> Uh, you have a video series, um, and I, I think it's one of the main reasons why we had you on here. And uh, I'm a fellow coach, certified coach of 33 years myself. One, 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 promote the website. MarkBakerBowling.com oh, yeah. for the video series. Go ahead. Correct. Yep. And uh, I'm a coach myself. And uh, the first question I had for you is um, you have a series now on two-handed bowling. It, it's now. It's the future. Um, look at the top five players on the tour. Um, we have all these kids coming up that are doing it. The biggest thing that we see, I see when the, the guys are on TV and we talk to Packy Hanahan about this is when the pros are out on TV, their ball speeds are between 18 to 20 miles an hour. When we see adults or the kids trying to start to do this, um, we're seeing the ball speeds, obviously a lot less. They are then labeled rev dominant uh, as a coach. Uh, what are the things that you're looking at for two handed bowlers to try to improve their games? What is the number one thing that you see? the biggest mistake that they make when they start to try to do two-handed bowling? Well, the two things that matter the most in two-handed is timing and balance. Not much different than one-handed. But uh, I've given – I mean, I've been working with two-handers for like 15 years now. I started with Wesley Lowe when he was 10. So it's amazing that I'd say 95% of the two-handed bowlers you see all have early timing. So that's where their ball speed's lacking. So on the video series, I show – you know, obviously I got the two best of all time, Anthony Simonson and right. Jason Belmonte. It's not – you know, there's no debating this. Yeah. So if you look at their timing spot, how I measure timing when their slide foot is in front of their head and their left arm is parallel, that allows them to use their right leg as their power source and their arms are much more of a swing. I think the biggest mistake all the two-handers make is they all drop down very early in their first two steps. They drop their hips. Belmonte doesn't drop his hips till Well, Belmonte and Simonson actually drop their hips in the exact same place. Anthony just tilts his upper body early, but his legs stay fairly tall. Jason stays really tall the first three steps. As the ball swings back, he drops his hips. You know, his, his legs are way ahead of his arms. So they're both using their lower body way more than the average two-hander is using their shoulders. So when so I work it, with them, go ahead. Yep. So as a, a coach, and I have a two-hander come in, let's say even an adult that's trying to start this, um, what are the main things that you would like to see a coach start to work with? Standing taller, uh, creating a little bit more of a later type of timing, pushing the, uh, that's what Anthony Simonson answered us is you were working with him on a, uh, on a farther push away, trying to delay yeah, the ball. I, I think what happens is the most of the two hundred just drop the ball down and pull it up. So there's two types of swings. Either comes back flat. I call that the conveyor belt or what you see mostly is people drop down. So looking yeah. at it this way, it's a, it's the easiest analogy there is. It's a swing. It's, it's a swing set. Their right. shoulders are the bar. Their two arms are the chains and the, and the ball's the kid. So how do you start a kid on a, on a swing set in any park in the United States? You give him a general right. push going forward. And right. Belmonte does it just beautifully. And he stabilizes his shoulders with the second step being very tall, directly under his head. So his shoulders don't move. So when he pushes the ball out and it swings back, he tilts his shoulders. He doesn't drop his hips. So he, his ball comes back very flat and very smooth. So they're burning very little energy coming back. 
you watch all the kids, all they do is drop down and rip it up. Well, right. I'm a John Wooden guy. So you get 100% effort no matter what you do. So if they're burning 50, 60% of their effort just to get the ball to their backswing and it has to add to 100, they've only got 30 or 40% left to throw it. Jason burns 5%. He takes no effort to get it to the back. So when Jason's in his timing, Scott ready to throw it, or same with Anthony, they got 90% of their effort left. And you can see that in their ability to really change your speeds and manage your rev rates. What When did the idea of just this video series come about? Because there's so many kids out there that learn nowadays from what they see on YouTube, Twitter, that type of thing. And then now here's a chance where you're putting a commitment to yourself out there, producing this series, and then getting people to, to go to Mark Baker Bowling and, and, and purchase it. What what, what was, was the thinking? idea behind it? Yeah, I mean, that's what, what? I'm kind of, yeah, a year I mean, later, I, I, mean, I know the name. Like I, mean? I, like if I was still bowling, I would buy the series because I think the scene for somebody like me, the senior bowling one would be spectacular. Once mm -hmm. I get back on the lanes, it's going to be that's a purchase. Actually, free. So that one, that's actually gotten the most feedback from like emails and text okay. messages. And the senior, I just made it. Here's you know, you're older. Father time is undefeated. Yep. The do's and don'ts when you get older, you don't get lower. Your rev rate doesn't go up. Your ball yeah. speed's not going up. Somebody needs to tell you the truth. People yeah. are lying to you if you're 73 and your rev rate's going up. Yeah. Tom, Tom Brady yeah. proved it two yeah. years ago. Right. Tom Brady was 43, 44. He was, you know, he was the man. And then yeah. he was 45. He was an old dude playing football. Yeah. Tom Brady can't fake out father time. Nobody can because nobody's yeah. ever made that dedication yeah. to their body. So that was my premise. I brought in Dave Husted, who's 63. You get rid of your knee bend. You get closer yeah. to the foul line. You stay taller. You add more loft and you turn it later. So then your ball would be perceived as faster because it's going to hook later. And that's what they all want. They all want more ball speed. As you get older, you, you don't walk as fast. You're not as limber. Right. So I did it that way. Uh, the actual idea for the videos, <laughs> standing in line for a ride at Disneyland. I was sitting okay. there. It was in the summer. It was hot. And my son went, uh oh, daddy's looking in the ceiling, mom. I think he's got another <laughs> idea. Like, so I called Dave Husted, you know, my best friend. Hey, I'm going to do a video. You in? Yeah, I'll be there. No yeah. problem. No matter what I ask. Then I asked Daniel McEwen. I wanted a female perspective. She was in. And then it kind of snowballed from there. You know, did a little... Uh, horse trading with Jason Belmonte to get him to do it. So it worked out really well because he's he's the man. I mean, it was when he was here for his two days, him and Anthony, it was impressive how good they are in person. Yeah. Just shot after shot after shot. Hey, mate, do you want me to throw five more? I'm like, no, you're pretty good. He goes, how many do I have to throw? I'm like, well, you were done at five. He had like 17 in a row. <laughs> you were done at five. I just want to see yeah. how long you can do this. And he had like, well, you know, I had some tape on the lane. He said, uh, you got the tape in the right place today. I can do this all day. Dave wow. Houston leaned over and said, I've never said that in my life. <laughs> so it was, they were, they were, uh, they were a pleasure to work with. The editing was, was really tricky. I mean, it was, oh, I'm it, was sure. a, it was a labor of love. It was nine months of my life. Yeah. And I know the, I know a couple of people on the production crew that did it for you. One of them being Curtis Von Kruger, who's been Excellent in bowling media for a long time. And yeah, some of the, I have only seen, like I said, I haven't had a chance to see it. I've seen some of the stills that have come out that you've published and that kind of thing. And you could tell, like, you had people with bowling knowledge helping you on this because it's so hard sometimes to get people that don't know the sport and you're trying to tell them what you need for it, and then they don't get it. The people you had on on this production got it for sure. That That's a very good point because if you're just dealing with an editor that doesn't bowl and I'm getting very meticulous, like, no, it has to – their foot has to be here and the swing has to be here when you stop it. Yeah, that's pretty close. Okay, this isn't going to work. The people that are buying it are bowlers. They don't want pretty close. They want a they want a real number. So yeah. Curtis, you know, Curtis put in a ton of ton of work for me, and yeah. we hope this thing really blows up at some point. So it's it's doing very well to start. 
it's just tricky how to get it in front of everybody. The tricky part for me is I'm 62. So all the kids, the two-handed kids in the world, they have no idea who I am. They're not supposed to know who I am. I mean, I'm some guy that bowled good in a century. I bowled good before their parents knew each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got no chance with the young right. kid. So hopefully with Belmonte yeah. and Simo and that kind of stuff and just social media, you know, and working with Storm a little bit, it's how do we get it to – because that really was the whole idea was the two-handed video. My mm-hmm. son bowls two-handed. I've done some two-handed camps. And there really wasn't anything good out there for those. I mean, they're growing the sport. You mm-hmm. you yeah. cannot like two-handed. I get that. But the toothpaste is out of the tube. And it wasn't for two-handed. Our sport would not be growing. Yeah, right. So if anything, Belmonte deserves a pat on the back. He might have saved the damn sport by himself. Yep. Because okay, you go so- to a high school tournament or a college tournament or the junior gold or a big you know thing like that, it's 50% two-handed. So that this has to be acknowledged. And I thought I'd do my part by making I mean, the first instructional video for two-handers with the best two-handers of all time. So basically, I brought in Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods. Yep, you can't, you can't complain about who they are. So we'll see if the bowling public likes it or if YouTube keeps kicking my ass. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this brings me to my point now. So I got uh, a younger kid that's seven. is going to be eight this month. And he's out in the Saturday morning league and all that. And then there's the high schoolers that are down at the other end. And then there's usually a high school tournament or whatever sometimes when we're done and so forth. So after talking to Dwight and Phil about your two-handed bowling videos, I'm thinking to myself, maybe I should go to two-handed instead of just one-handed. Because right now he's, you know, seven, he's at the line. He's just throwing the ball, whatever the case may be, trying to figure it all out. And he's smaller. And I'm not sure how big he's going to be, but he's, he's smaller now. Then I'm talking to a parent down there who has a kid on the high school team. Um, and she's like, oh, just just leave them one-handed. You know, these two-handed guys, they have a lot of rev rates, but they can't pick up spares and da-da-da-da-da. So she's trying to sell me on keeping them one-handed like her kid is in high school. And he's he's really good. I'm saying he's not. He's a really good bowler, too. So for you, if, if you're a parent of a younger kid right now, are you trying to lean one way or the other with your kid that's coming up and bowling at that age? Or how would you go about it? My son bowls two-handed. I'm, mm. I'm pretty good at this coaching thing. <laughs> I, 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 I you though. That's the problem. Well. Yeah. <laughs> so my son bowls two-handed. So look so at this would... way. So look at it this way. When you throw a bowling ball, the ball's the earth. Mm-hmm. If you're a really, really good one-hander, you're EJ Tackett, the best in the world. Mm-hmm. Your fingers can just barely get below the equator when you throw a ball. The two-handers figure out within the first month how to get their fingers in Antarctica. <laughs> so they're yeah. throwing it from the bottom of the earth. So they get a yeah. free half a rotation right. just because their thumb's not in it. And you know why they like two-handed? Because you can't put a dollar amount or you can't put a – you can't measure cool. When I learned how to bowl, everybody wanted me to bowl like Dave Davis because I was tall and skinny. Then I saw a guy named Mark Roth bowl on TV once. I went, that's it. I'm bowling like him because he's cool. That is the – I mean, mm-hmm. how do I tear my thumb? How do I get that little black glove? And I'm going to bowl like that guy the rest of my life because that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. So when my son started bowling two-handed, we would go practice at the bowling centers. They don't know who I am. And he would bowl two-handed, and it would be ugly. And then he would throw two or three strikes that would really hook, but the ball made that move. And the kids around him were like, dude, that's really cool. How did you do that? Mm-hmm. So the two-handed thing, when it's on, if you're on par with one-handed and two-handed, I think the two-handed wins just because yeah. of where their hand gets to be in the ball. And for my son, he kept tearing his thumb. His thumb just kept getting torn up. And, you know, when you're nine years old, you just don't understand what cut patch is. That, that's yeah, exactly, yeah. Cut patch, it's that open sore when you're nine – there's tears. And he's like, I'm never doing that again. Come on. Yes. If you want to bowl, you made the finals. Dad, I want to bowl two-handed. I want to tear my thumb. So it was, I think it's much easier to get good two-handed quickly. Yeah. That's, that's what I just was going to say. There's good fitters that are out there, but you're still bowling 40, 50, 60 games a week. 
when you get to a higher level. And you don't have to worry about your thumb getting all tore up or having to put uh, skin tape on uh, to protect your thumb. Um, so the, the, the other question I had for you is, uh, again, regarding the two-handed bowling uh, and the kids going back and forth, the coaching today is so much better from then your era, my era. My era was mm -hmm. the 70s. We have the YouTube. We have the videotapes. We have uh, coaches like you and I. Um, uh, have other coaches like high school coaches contacted you uh, regarding your either your video series or say, hey, I got five guys on my team that are two-handers. What do I do for them? Uh, only time it's ever really happened, I was in San Antonio a couple years ago giving lessons for the week, and they had a, they had a bunch of high school kids there. They had a bunch of teams. Some of the coaches asked me to help them then. I did that day. But so far, the only place that ever reaches out because they're the most polite is Sweden. Every time I have a book or a DVD or like this comes out, somebody in Sweden, some little town, hi, my name is, you know, whatever they, their name is, and like, we just bought your video. Do you mind if we use it as our, you know, we're going to use that for our coaching for all of our kids. I mean, of course you bought it. You can do what you want with it. Sweden tends to always ask the other people. I think hopefully they adapt. I don't think enough people know about it yet. It's been very tricky to get it out. So once, you know, they, you know, it's word of mouth in our sport and I get some success with the two handed kids and you know, Southern California obviously is my neck of the woods. So all the parents here who the kids have bought it, they love it. Cause they can watch it over and over and over. Like they watch YouTube. That's what they like about it. And I really broke down. Here's Belmonte does what he does. And here's what Simonson does. And then the part that I thought that nobody really ever talked about before was there's a reason why these two guys are, are so good in majors is they're unbelievably accurate. So yes. I showed how they're almost exactly the same bowler for three steps and how they create their accuracy and why their records in majors are so good. Following then up on that, um, uh, do you guys offer or do you offer classes? Do you offer clinics? Do you have uh, like a training center where uh, teams and kids can come in and work with you? Yeah, I'm actually at my, it says right there in the back of my thing, the Westpac Training Center. I'm here at a little private two-lane training center in Orange, California. I'm right next to Anaheim Stadium, right down the street from Disneyland. So today, as soon as I'm done with you guys, I've got a few virtual lessons to knock out. And take the next two days, I do 18 lessons here. I don't do groups because it's only two lanes and it's pretty confined. So I don't do a lot of groups here. See, with Dwight, the biggest difference out here in California, we don't have high school bowling. Oh, what? So we don't have high school bowling. So... I'm losing, you know, I, I mean, I think if I lived in the Midwest somewhere back East for high school was big, I would, I would be fairly busy. Oh yeah. So out here, we don't have that. So I coach a lot of kids at bowl. Oh. I've had you know, seven or eight kids when junior gold, but it's just JBTs and JATs on the weekends. So that's the big thing out here in California. Cause we don't have high school bowling. Why? We had snow here, but yeah. you could make a lot of money. It sounds like. California, it may, it, it may happen sooner rather than later. I don't know. <laughs> Why don't they have high school bowling out uh, out west? I could not give you a definitive yeah. answer. I've heard all the it's insurance to getting the kids to and from the bowling center. CIF California Inter Interscholastic Federation is runs our sports, and there's X amount of there's like nine of them, and you have to get at least three or four that want to bring it in as a varsity sport, and they they never agree to it. Yeah. So. You know, baseball and basketball and football and then, you know, that kind of and tennis, you know, the things that we do have out Outdoor. here, it's just it's year round nonstop. It's you know, that, that's crazy out here. So these kids are it'd be very hard to find the kids to do it, I guess. That's that would be the tricky. And we've lost a lot of bowling centers. So now it's you know, when I was a kid, there was 37 centers in Orange County. Now there's nine. So <laughs> it'd be tricky for the high schools to get to X amount of centers. I think some aren't close to each other. But I don't know. I don't do not have a reason why. I just know it's never happened. Hmm. So with 
bowling as a pro back in the 80s and 90s and that type of thing, you were influenced by coaches as well. I right. mean, some of the big names back in the day were John Jowdy, uh, Don Johnson, who was a great PBA professional in his own right and was one of the guys that really revolutionized using video mm-hmm. uh, for bowling. Did you ever have any interaction with, with Mr. Jowdy or Mr. Johnson? I did quite a bit with John because John lived in San Diego and I lived in Orange County. So I, I would go see John. We would just argue pretty much the whole time. <laughs> he would just kept, he would just keep telling me I need to throw it like Ozio. And I went, I can beat Ozio. I want to bowl like Holman. Make my hand look like Holman. I don't want to be yeah. Ozio. He's pretty. Yeah. I don't want to be pretty. I want to make a lot of money. I want to bowl like Marshall. This is when I was bowling on tour and I was a top 10 player. Yeah. So he yeah. would always make me play the gutter and I'd have to do all these things that he wanted. I hated it. Then invariably, I'd bowl pretty good after it. Then he'd just walk by that goofy cigar and went look at me and shake his head. So John <laughs> and I butted heads, heads a lot. But I got, he was such a good guy because he would never say no. Hey, John, what let's about, go practice. Let's go. John what was about Bill Hall? He never charged any of us. I never got – I knew Don Johnson pretty well through Barry Asher, but yep. I never got a chance to work with Don. I okay. just like Don because he was one of the older guys that didn't, didn't uh, resent us young guys. Because when I first came on tour, I was one of the first guys that really hit it. You know, yeah. you yes. there was a yeah. group of us that came out that could put a move on it. And there were a lot of guys on tour trying to make a living from the 70s and 60s. And they did not appreciate how we bowled. And they let us know. Yeah. Don Johnson wasn't like that. He'd always walk up. How do you get your hand to do that? Show me how your hand rotates around it. Yeah. I want to I be able to do that. I got to be able to teach that. So yeah. Don saw where it was going. So I know when I started my first time I coached the two-handed kid. A dad fly, uh, brings me out to Palmdale, California, and this little tiny kid shows up, four foot nothing, weighed 50 pounds, throwing an eight pound or 10 pound T zone, seven pin, seven nine, five ten, seven pin. Yeah. And all this kid could do is kick a rack. Every time he didn't strike, he got mad. So the dad goes, Everybody wants me to switch him to one handed. What do you think? I went, I think he throws the ball great. He's not going to be this little all his life. He's not going to throw a plastic ball. I said, That two handed thing, I'm not sure how he does it because I'd never seen it in person. But I'll work with him. I think he'll. I could think he could be a pretty good bowler. That little kid turned into Wesley Lowe. Wow! So he wow. went from being this little tiny kid that couldn't break one twenty, that just had a really bad temper, to being the best <laughs> you know junior in the history of California. Yeah. So once I saw how Don treated how we did, I'm like, wait a minute. I had heard of Jason Belmonte. I had seen Osku. I was like, wow, that's impressive. I mean, it's it was just a different way of doing it. I never had yeah. any. Oh my God, it's two handed. It's wrong. I thought, well, it's just a different way to throw the bowling ball. Yeah. I never thought much of it. So I started coaching two-handers before everybody did. So I've always had a lot of two-handers because a lot of coaches at one time refused to coach them. They're doing it wrong. I'm like, it's not wrong. It's just different. Yeah. That's all. I remember uh, a lot of your shows and a lot of your titles and watching you. Uh, you were a real um, – you had a little backswing height, real power player. Um, when you guys used to come to Milwaukee at Red Carpet Celebrity back in the 80s, um, I always remember Bill Hall walking around with his fat ball jacket on. Um, he kind of was like, uh, the guy that, um, I, I, at least was on the lanes trying to work with the players. Did you ever get any advice, uh, from Bill Hall? Not really physical game advice, but Bill for a long time was, you know, he wrote, he drilled the balls on the truck for Larry Litstein. And I had a good two or three year run with Bill where we just made a deal where he just would come watch me bowl and the ball will be ready for when you're done. So Bill just laid him out. I never, I never filled out a form. I paid him a certain percentage of my earnings. Bill and I really got along well. I thought Bill was sharp. I thought Bill yeah. knew my game. And Bill yeah. was always going to, you know, obviously the more money I made, the more money he made. So I just liked how he would watch, look at it. I got you covered. I was never a ball guru. I've never drilled a ball in my life. I've never spent any time in a pro shop. So that's one area. I, I, it's not that I don't like, I just don't, it's just not my thing. 
So it was his thing. And he and I worked really well together. I never really worked physically with Bill. I was pretty much, I really wasn't a very good bowler. I was just a really good athlete. And I liked to compete. I was super intense. I wasn't afraid to try hard. I never gave up. I had real good hand-eye coordination. And so I did okay on tour. I, you know, I maxed mm-hmm. out my physical abilities. But I, yeah. if you look back on it, those guys had great games. I was just a pretty good athlete. I, you should I, have I, I got four titles. You should have your own podcast. You should have your own podcast, your own YouTube series, <laughs> everything. Because I'm telling you right now, you may not know it. You probably do know it. But you – could just be a superstar on YouTube. If you just sat down and told stories and gave tips and advice and all that, I'm telling you, you would absolutely kill it because your personality, having been in radio since what, I don't know, 20, 30 years now, I guess it's been, you would absolutely kill it. Uh, if you gave it a go, those videos are amazing. I'm going to buy one. I'm going to go with you and to try the two. Let's let's go back. I'm 60, almost 63. This coaching thing can't go forever. So I should do what now? You, I'm telling you, you and I could talk. You and I both. Like th- th- this podcast that we do is nice and all of that, but I mean, you've seen some of these other guys, like the House and those guys that have their YouTube series. All you need is somebody that's kind of radio or TV or some, has some type of media training. You and that person sit down every week, talk about what you saw on TV, talk about stories from back in the day, talk about trips and training and everything else. I'm telling you. It would blow up. You tweet it out. You put it on Instagram, put it on your Facebook and social media, the hell out of it. And you go. It's pretty simple. I'll tag you when I put ours out um, in in Twitter because I don't do Instagram. I'll tag you and and stuff. I'm telling you, man, you would be amazing. Absolutely (laughs) freaking amazing at this. I've done this a long time. Your personality and your stories and how you tell it. And so Mm -hmm. just you blow up, man. It'd be amazing. It'd be absolutely. If I lived out there, I'd do it with you. It sounds like a great idea. The only reason I would really, really do it just to make my wife mad. Because I goes, oh, you're just so full of shit. Like, yeah, but I got good stories. I've been around forever. So Right. But people want to hear that stuff because it's mm-hmm. really good. And if you have the right person telling the story, it makes it all the better. You're that guy. Uh, follow him on Twitter uh, at M Baker Bowling. Check out the website, markbakerbowling.com. I'm going to go spend the $75. I'm going to change my seven-year-old to a two-handed bowler. <laughs> I'm going to give Dwight a heart attack, trying to figure out how to coach him uh, and uh, a way we're going to go on this one. No, Mark, but if you do look at the video, the way I break, break down Belmonte, his fundamentals, everybody sees how much their ball hooks. And in the first time I saw Jason Bull really good was in Wichita, the year Norm won the Turing Players Championship. And Jason shot like almost 500 over for eight. I had never seen a ball hit that hard. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, this is this is what it's going to turn into. So I became a kind of a Jason fan without really, I've never really, you know, know, I don't really know Jason that well now. So, you know, Jason's his own dude. So he was, when he was here, he was unbelievably great. But when I broke it down on video and you watch it hour after hour after hour, trying to figure out how to sell this video, I'm like, wow, he's basically Chris Barnes, but two-handed. He's fundamentally sound. Everything's in the right spot on every step. So the video, if you just put, okay, we're just going to imitate. That's all I've done with my son. Let's see how many places you can match Belmonte. Because if you match Belmonte, the results are going to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And the closer my son has gotten to the balance, and he's closer, he's gotten to keeping his head still at release. His, his average has gone from 180 to 190. Now he's breaking 200, and now he's bowling pretty good. So Jason doesn't get credit, I think, just fundamentally sound. It happens to be two hands. I think my dad had the best analogy ever for two-handed when Bel- Belmonte became this big deal. You know, Chris Barnes would come over to my dad's house and play a little golf. And the two-handed thing got brought up. My dad goes, ah, you guys are seeing this wrong. Like, well, how do you see it? He goes, I grew up in the South in the 50s. There's only one guy who can play guitar, and that's Chuck Berry. 
you think Led Zeppelin's the best band of all time. I went, well, it is the best band of all time. <laughs> he goes, now there's other bands. He goes, there's Eddie Van Halen. Somebody dad knows about him. He usually goes, they're all playing the guitar. They all just play it a little bit different. That's, so that's how he's not two-handed. It's just Jason's just doing it a little bit different than everybody else. Or as Dave Husted says, we're all two-handed. He just takes his left hand off a little bit later than I took my left hand off. <laughs> right, exactly right. Hey, thanks so much for coming on, Mark. Really appreciate it. That'll do it for another edition of the Spare Time Bowling. She'll be back at it again next week, and we'll see what this PBA Elite League thing looks like uh, coming up this week, and we'll talk about that next week. Enjoy the rest of your day. Have a good one. Toodles. Toodles.